This is the Cover 2 Podcast. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. Looking to throw again. Wide open. Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, here's Don Banks. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. I am Don Banks, joined by my trusty co-host, Nick Stevens. Nick, Nick, we made it to August. August 1. We did it, Don. Congratulations. We are now officially talking football in my new favorite month, it does, August, it the does, only month that is also an adjective. It does feel, uh, it does feel like you've kind of crossed over some line when you get to August and camps are all in swing. Uh, I have to admit, this weird for me. August first always has meant one thing, and that is a camp tour. The last time I was not on a camp NFL camp swing at this time of year was 1999, the year before I went to work for Sports Illustrated. And in 99, it was pretty memorable memorable because I was in my last season covering the Minnesota Vikings as a beat writer. That year, I worked for the St. Paul Pioneer Press after three years at the Minneapolis Star Tribune. My competition hired me away, and that was the camp that Demetrius Underwood, <laughs> the second of the Vikings' two first-round picks that year, Dante Culpepper was the first, disappeared from training camp before the second camp practice of the summer and set off, I'm not kidding, like a manhunt and a, a week-long saga where Demetrius Underwood. And I'll never forget, I'm standing out of practice, we all checking off names, and I'm like, Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> Bueller, and there's no Underwood, and it was like uh, we went to the PR guy. No one knew where he was. He had just vanished, vanished. You remember that story? I do remember that story. When I think of players disappearing, I think of the center for the Oakland Raiders oh, disappearing right. before Barrett this, Robbins. Yeah, Barrett Robbins just yes. going on his uh, well, Mexican night, hangover odyssey. That was the will. night before the Super Bowl. Uh, night before the Super Bowl in was, San Diego. It was a little odd. Who among us hasn't just headed off to Tijuana why, for why a not? night? Right? right? I mean, if you got a chance to, you know, uh, pick up a little entertainment and some discount pharma, why not? Right. When I think of Minnesota training camps and Minnesota offseason exploits, the first two things that come to mind are one is very sad and one is outrageous, of course, the Corey Stringer. Yes. Which uh, 2001. How, yep. So that's been 16 years now, a cautionary tale and a, a, a tragedy, just a, a, a damn shame. And then, of course, the uh, Lake Minnetonka party boat. The, yeah, love boat, as they the call lo- it. The love the boat. The love boat. Those were some high times covering that, the Vikes, Is that huh? Fred Smoot that was the head of that boat? Yeah, Fred Smoot Listen, was a, the organizer. It's a, it's a Smoot point now. I think, I think okay. that was the uh, f- the name of my fantasy football team that year, boating with Fred Smoot or something <laughs> that like that. That was the Mike Tice era. Now, Smoot boat? I, I knew Mike well. I covered Mike when he was an assistant, uh, the O-line coach um, for, for Minnesota. But I was on to SI by the time of Love Boat. And I did go back. Uh, I was on my camp tour the, the the year of the Corey Stringer tragedy in 2001. I remember waking up in Carolina Panthers camp in Spartanburg and catching a, the first plane I could get back up to Mankato um, to cover that sad story. I knew Corey well. Corey was a great dude. I had covered him for the four seasons, 96 through 99, and uh, that was the saddest 
uh, of um, of low points, obviously for the Vikings and Mankato. But yeah, this is weird. So I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm not on the road. I'm now doing an NFL podcast instead of being out on the on the road. Although I am going to Canton uh, on Thursday this week, and we'll be there all weekend on behalf of Patriots.com. Would you do us a favor and test out the field conditions and see if they're sticky? I will. I, I'm guessing they're going to get those perfect this year. I'm thinking they're going to get that right. I'm Prom- thinking we're gonna never going to see sticky paint at the Hall of Fame game. We probably won't have a power outing yeah. at ha- the, in the Super Bowl Not again. Not likely. And uh, I'm pretty sure that they also check all of the halftime wardrobes. The sentence that we heard last year, the paint has congealed, I don't think we'll hear it again this no, year. No, I don't think we'll be hearing that anytime soon. How do you feel, Don, now instead of being out on the road, getting a chance to take this experience, this decades-long experience road-dogging and covering the NFL and shaking so many hands and writing so many stories, and now getting to take this 1,000-foot perspective back here, doing the podcast and all the Patriots.com work. Well, of course, I miss the Marriott points, Nick, first and foremost. Let's be honest, so, right. Um, you know, it is it is a little different. I loved getting out on the road this time of year. First of all, everybody's in a good mood. I mean— Let's be honest. The We're bullets, all nineteen and zero right now. The bullets are not real at this point, and they're not. Um, there are no losses being accrued, so everybody was in a pretty good mood to talk, and that makes it kind of the best time of the year to cover the NFL. Uh, I know my longtime colleague Peter King. I talked to him last night. He's out there on the road. He's he always calls it his favorite time of the year. I think that's true. Um, I I can. You know, for me, training camp was really long days and then really long drives at night. Sometimes I flew from spot to spot. But I loved, you know, maybe I'd get done writing by 8 p.m. and get in the car and I'd drive for five hours to my next stop, hoping to get uh, baseball on the radio the whole time. And, you know, it, it makes you look up and you're two and a half weeks down the road and you've hit, I, I generally would try to hit 10 to 12, 13 teams try to see at least a third of the league. What did the well-traveled sports writer and football journalist do in the age before we had speak-to-text on our phone? Because I can imagine I right now I somebody observes, makes their notes, and then they basically dictate their story into their iPhone as they're going from one camp to another five, six-hour drives. Were you, like, scribbling pen and pad? Oh. Did you have a reel-to-reel record in the front of the car? <laughs> I, I would record usually um, and then transcribe. I, I have to admit the um, voice activation um, text part has never really saved me any time in terms of actually working. But I, I would see the benefit now if we could come up with that. Man, there were hours and hours of my life that I spent transcribing that I could have back. Um, but— you know, to me, it was the time of year, Nick, when you get you get to establish, obviously, uh, a little bit of a rapport with players and coaches. You get you get to establish contacts that benefit you, hopefully, throughout the season. But it is, I'm not saying laid back because it's an intense environment, but it is much more um, at ease and a little bit more. Uh, everybody everybody has hope. Everybody has optimism, and therefore. You know they're not dread, they're not dreading when they see you walk around the corner because they understand um, it's kind of the waking the animal the beast back up and here we go. I think as a sports fan, if August isn't your favorite month or in the running for top three favorite months or times of the year, you've got to be crazy because you just passed the MLB trading deadline. So now you've got the real pennant push. Now we know who the baseball teams are now. They're all going to really get after it, and the cream will rise to the top. You've got camp starting up. 
everyone's undefeated. You're starting to take a peek at who your guys are and what's going on with the other rivals. You'll soon be thinking about drafting your fantasy team. And oh, by the way, after, at least up here in the Northeast, a very inconsistent meteorological summertime, it's starting to just get sunny and blue and beautiful every day. Right. So when I can smell football, I can feel baseball. There's a grill and a cooler chock full for the good run of things. And we got this weather, the football. I can't, you, can't be, you can't beat it. This is the best time. It is a tough time to beat. And, you know, um, one thing I think was pretty interesting about the last week um, Roger Goodell yesterday appeared at Jets camp for a little bit of a fan forum. I don't. I wonder if he's going to do that in New England sometime. Probably not. Well, he did say that he was going to be coming to the opener. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. He's like, honor. He's honor bound to do that. Um, he said he will be here for the opener, and I, I, for one, like to refer to that as Roger Goodell Fury Road. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a ride getting down here. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting night. Uh, but a couple headlines he made yesterday in Jets camp, one of which tying back into the preseason. Um, he said the inevitable on Monday. He did say the preseason is going to be cut to two or three games. He said his football people told him that they don't need four anymore. I think that's been obvious for about four or five years. Um, but for the first time, he said, I believe for the first time, he said this is not in conjunction with a push for an 18-game schedule. Remember, the commissioner was hellbent on getting that as a way of kind of growing the TV pie, growing the the overall revenues. He's finally understood that that is a non-starter with the players. So I'm interested how quickly that's going to happen. I did my bank shot a couple weeks ago about the needlessness of the Hall of Fame game uh, and how we could jettison that pretty easily and no one would really miss it. Um, Preseason to two or three games without the 18-game caveat, I think is just a smart move. It makes too much sense not to happen. I can see preseason going down from four to three, but four to two seems like a pretty drastic reduction. Cutting this alternative revenue stream in the NFL by 50% seems a bit much. Maybe by 25% from four to three, I can buy into that. And I can see the preseason taking on a heightened meaning because you'll have your inaugural game just to shake out you know, the cobwebs. legs, knock off the rust, kick out the cobwebs. Then you'll have your real dress rehearsal. And then you'll have evaluate for guys fifty to fifty three, and keep you know keep track of the ghost squad. I have a theory that you're gonna you're gonna get two games, but you're gonna get teams, and the Patriots are one of these teams that that are kind of on the front edge of this, but scrimmaging and practicing with other teams much more than actual games. I think the coaches feel like you almost get more work out of it. You get a longer look. You can have multiple practice sessions. It's not one three hour game type situation. I think I think it's going to go to two games and I do think it's going to be replaced that missing two games of action is going to be replaced by uh inter, you know s- s- team scrimmaging off against each other. These coordinated practices like yep. the Patriots have often done with the Saints and now they're, they're doing, doing three this year. Yeah, they're doing They a, just added the Lions. Right, and they're doing it also with the Eagles and the Jaguars, correct? I think the Texans. Texans and Texans the and the Jaguars. What's what seems to be now invaluable for the coaches and the general managers as well as the players is not only getting a taste of the competition and really kicking things up to NFL speed in August. Have you noticed how many times coaches and GMs will then dip into the pool and either make trades with these other teams that they have the coordinated practices and scrimmages with right. or when they make their cuts now your Belichick's are looking to that guy. Hey, you know what? I saw that guy. I don't think he really has a spot on the Eagles, so I'm going to take a flyer and trade for Eric Rowe and 
we're seeing that that is actually paying dividends here right now and potentially could be a a, a great number three corner. Brandon Cooks, correct? Cooks. Isn't it? Isn't it the Belichick story fell in love with him. that Belichick fell in love with Brandon Cooks from their workouts against the Saints? Um, skip down the road, boom, they get the, they get something done. I think it's it's natural to think that when you put coaches around players and they get more time to see them firsthand, evaluate them, see how they you know their skill set in its entirety, you're going to find that phenomena happen more and more. But I agree. I think. I think the um, the preseason is, um, you know, it's too long, and, and people have been clear enough that the commissioner understands the product is just weak. And I look forward to a, a two-game, a two at most, three-game preseason. I bet you they keep the Hall of Fame game, though, because they just refurbished the stadium, Fawcett Stadium, in Canton, so that's not probably going anywhere. They'll ignore me. Um, another thing that came up yesterday when Goodell was in Jets camp it was obviously questions about the recent CTE study um, and just to recap there were um, brains donated from families of ex-football players um, largely who were concerned about having seen symptoms and behavior um, from their loved ones um, that they thought was emblematic symptomatic of CTE and the stat that everybody got blown away from, blown away by, was that um, 110 of the 111 donated brains from NFL players showed signs of CTE, um, which is obviously the degenerative brain disease connected to uh, repeated head trauma. Now that number should we should put it in context. That's that's not a random sample. That's not like saying 111 players, 110, 110 of them in a random sample is going to have signs of this. It was all people who kind of had a suspicion that their loved ones w- was dealing with this. So you have to kind of take that um, into the equation. However, it was a startling number. Goodell was asked about it. And more importantly, some players, Jamal Adams, the rookie safety for the Jets, uh, was asked about it. He made a headline. I'll read his quote. I'm all about making the game safer, but as a defensive player, I'm not a big fan of it. He was the sixth overall pick, remember, in April. But I get it. I can speak for a lot of guys that play the game. We live and breathe. This is what we're so passionate about. Literally, I would, if I had a perfect place to die, I would die on the field. That is not a comment. That Tis a noble thought. It's <laughs> great way to fire up the fan base. It's, but let's be real. It speaks to the gladiator aspect of, of the sport. It is not a comment terribly um, befitting the current climate. Um, CTE has obviously become, I think, problem number one for the league in in in, in protecting you know the future of the game. How is how is the game going to change? Um, can it change enough? And can it be safe enough to alleviate those fears? Probably not. You remember a couple of years ago when Chris Borland just up and retired from the 49ers out of the blue? And said, "I've had some head injuries, and I've I've seen the handwriting on the wall. I I know how this could go, and decided to err on the side of living life, being healthy, walking away with a game that he can remember. Look at guys like you know recently here in New England, you had Rob Ninkovich retiring, still at the age of 33, so he had a long fit career, but with health intact. You've got stars like Ben Roethlisberger saying on a regular basis." It's an annual decision for him now. It's year to year. Can my body hack this? And also, I've seen the results. 
I'd actually like to be able to remember and enjoy my life as opposed to just becoming another wrong kind of statistic. Well, here's a question, Nick. There's been five players just in the last week. Now, this isn't unheard of, but five players in the last week to retire before camp. Andrew mm-hmm. Hawkins. Right. Um, Body didn't respond. John Urschel, the offensive lineman and MIT math whiz mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Now, he kind of acknowledged that that study, that report, at least made his radar screen in terms of where do I draw the line? I, I look at it, it's kind of a cheesy analogy, but, I mean, you know that feeling you ever played blackjack in Vegas and, you, and you're on a winning streak, right? Mm-hmm. And you wonder, should I keep playing? Because I know at some point the house wins. I know at some point the trend is going to turn, but I'm hot right now. So you push it and you push it. And I've done it. where <laughs> I lose every bit of money mm-hmm. that I just won. And to me, it feels a little bit like that. The players are saying, why don't I walk away from this table while I'm still ahead? Why do I continue to go for one more hand when I could walk right now and have a really nice life and really nice winnings and I think more and more players are starting to come to that conclusion it's one of my favorite expressions I say casino hands when it's time you know when the dealer is done they clap their hands they show the the top and the bottom right. to, to the eye in the sky like I'm clean here and I like to think whenever I'm in a position where I know the odds are against me but I feel literally or emotionally up i gotta get out when the time is right and for these guys to now start to realize that it's worth more to live a healthy life than maybe that one last paycheck a little extra in the pension one last shot at glory i understand that for some of the nfl players this may be all that they know this this may just be what they do but now you see a lot of other guys becoming you know like gerard mayo working in healthcare and patrick willis working in silicon valley you see a lot of other guys pursuing ulterior lives and I'd rather see more of them just walk away when they can because you know going back to the casino metaphor when you play in the NFL you can't like if you're up a certain amount Don you can take half that stack go lock it in the safe in your hotel room and come back down and decide okay this is house money I'm going to play with it in the NFL you're either all in or you're out right there's no tuck half of your winnings away in the in the hotel safe so I'm glad to see more of these guys do that because the allure of that last check and one more shot at a postseason has got to be great, but also 60, 70 grandkids, it's got to be pretty important. Well, I mean, Ninkovich, you know, that length of career you can certainly understand, and he's got two rings. It's the guys, I think, like Urschel, uh, obviously Borland was the extreme example. Brandon Albert this week. Brandon Albert, again, he wasn't real happy with his current predicament in the NFL Um, being traded up to Jacksonville. But it's the guys that have really not had any length of career who are walking away. Those are the guys I think the NFL has to be most concerned about whether that trend line grows. And I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it won't. Um, I think every year there are guys that say, I can't go, you know, camp arrives and I can't go through this one more time. And they walk away. Um, But in light of these just the new research and the new knowledge and how much further our understanding of CTE is even incrementally. Um, I think it's become a a topic now that is going to be every retirement is going to be seen in the light of this, whether it's related to this issue or not. And I don't know if there's any easy fix or if there's a quick solution to it. 202 brains studied, 177 of them showed signs of CTE, 110 of the 111 that had been donated from former NFL players demonstrated 
the signs of CTE. So those were the ones that came with the warnings and the red flags. But still, 177 of 202. I mean, and, and the numbers, you know, you can you can add the caveat that it wasn't a, a random study. Mm-hmm. It's still a very concerning number. But we're talking football, so it makes sense. It's completely germane to the subject. Right, absolutely. Another quick topic, um, we await whether or not the Baltimore Ravens are going to really be the first team. They're already, I think, the first team to seriously consider and kick the tires on Colin Kaepernick. The Seattle tryout, in retrospect, feels like it was a dog and pony show a little bit, designed just to get his name back out there, like they were doing him a favor. Um, Interesting in that Steve Bishotti, who I think is one of the more honest NFL owners came out and acknowledged that there was more to this decision. So all those people saying it was only, only, only about his skill level at this point, uh, Bashadi kind of put the lie to that, and not in the Baltimore Ravens um, mindset. They admitted that their decision about signing Kaepernick, whether or not they need him for backup depth behind an injured Joe Flacco, uh, comes down to partly fan reaction they've reached out to sponsors and fans to gauge their reaction what was your take on that particular acknowledgement pretty interesting but makes a lot of sense considering what they went through a couple of years ago this isn't just any nfl team that would consider signing colin kaepernick for quarterback depth or potentially being the starting quarterback given that joe flacco you know what is he a little over a year and a half removed from getting his knee rebuilt and now he's got another injury he's got a back injury now yeah correct? it's just a you know it's nothing that's mm. going to require surgery but backs are tricky i don't remember the last time somebody said it's a back injury and someone smiled and said don't worry about it right like, the the phrase back injury and starting quarterback they just don't go well together no they, they just don't, don't. you know el- elbow problem and starting pitcher <clears throat> doesn't bode well colin kaepernick could be not only a great insurance policy for the ravens if he returns to anything resembling unstoppable four year ago Kaepernick, and he's still got the arm, he's still got the legs, he's learned more about the game, he's been around the game more, he could be an asset for the Baltimore Ravens. They could be potentially a more dangerous team with well, a Colin Kaepernick if he fits the system. And because we know they've got a great head coach, John Harbaugh, they run a pretty disciplined program. They're pretty tight-knit down there. Ozzie Newsom is a hell of a talent evaluator, and we've talked about how that works out. I think it would be, I think it would make all the sense in the world. I think if there's any place that Kaepernick could revamp his image, it may be in Baltimore. Well, there's certainly a lot of boxes checked. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Harbaugh connection is first and foremost. Um, John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, they might talk a little bit, they might communicate. So he knows, I think, what he's getting in Colin Kaepernick. Obviously, Greg Roman, who's in Baltimore now. Uh, offensive coordinator. He was in San Francisco when Kaepernick was at his best. That obviously another comfort zone. I don't think they're really happy with Ryan Mallett right now. I think they're realizing, hmm, we we cannot rely on Ryan Mallett. Now they're optim- they're not the first team to say that. <laughs> they're they're optimistic that Flacco is a short term injury, but you don't know. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's a back. So I think it comes down to, can we do better than Ryan Mallett? And I think that gives Baltimore the most motivation to get into the Kaepernick market. I want to ask you this, though. How comes Baltimore can go to their fan base and their sponsors now, but they didn't with Ray Lewis? They didn't with Ray Rice. Right. They didn't with Dante Stallworth. Right. So, what's different? Once bitten, twice shy. Is there What's the expression for three, four? Like, fool me once, shame on you, fool yeah. me twice. Yeah. None of the inherent cliches apply because they didn't do it three times. Right. Everyone tried to 
bury and dismiss the Ray Lewis allegations when we all think that that was handled well. I don't want to. Uh, uh, allegedly, it was. It wasn't hand. It didn't seem to be handled. It was at least. A situation, if you're going to talk to your fans and your sponsors mm-hmm. about anything, how do you feel about having our starting uh, linebacker, all-pro linebacker um, accused mm-hmm. of being involved in a double murder? How do you, so. and, and building a giant statue out in front. Right. And never mind about the fact that he came back from a torn triceps in like three weeks a couple of years ago. The It's all about the Ray Rice incident. And the reason is it's it's... Three words. It's that videotape. Perception. It. It's the hotel. And reality. Yep. Perception and reality. It's the hotel elevator video. That changed everything. When it comes to NFL off-field discipline, fines, and perception, I think we're all going to point back to that's like the new Zapruder film of the yep. NFL, yep. the Ray Rice elevator. Well, I, I at least applaud Bishotti's, uh honesty. I, I think, of course, of course you're going to go – and, um, you know, say, oh, this does, you know, it's a football only. Roger Goodell says, uh, you know, teams, if they want to improve their football team, they're going to sign him. If they don't think he can help, blah, blah, blah. No, there's more to it than that. And I think, honestly, Bashadi was giving at least uh, the obvious a tip of the hat that, that they want to know how this is going to go over. Or m- maybe they were just kind of laying groundwork for preparing their fan base. Look, we listen to you. We talk to our sponsors. We didn't do this haphazardly or quickly. Uh, they can then turn around and say, we understand. We know that there's going to be pushback. There's some people that will never forgive him for the activist stance that he took um, in dealing with the the uh, po- police b- brutality issue and making the anthem his way of addressing that issue. And they can then turn around and say, but we've decided this is in the best interest of the Ravens to sign him. I think they will add him, but I think they're buying time right now to say, how bad is Flacco? Does it look long-term at all? And can can we can we see some sign of hope from Ryan Mallett in practice these days? Can we see some sign of hope from Ryan <laughs> That's like asking your pickup truck to start getting good gas mileage one day. It's not going to happen. So you weren't on the Mallet train when he was a no. Pat? You didn't no. like him when he was a He's, Pat? Ryan Mallet is like a less mobile Drew Bledsoe. He just, he's one of the, what's the old line on Bledsoe that he was a giraffe on stilts with a, with a rocket arm? You know, Mallet never did anything in Pat's camp and anything I saw here, and I'm sure there are plenty of beat writers who would speak to this as well who did enough to impress you to say, you know what, the franchise is in good hands here. Having a great arm in college is one thing, but having a great arm in the NFL and having to understand the checkdowns and where everything's coming from and being, just being able to decipher the, all the different blitzes and coverages. What Mallet doesn't have that Kaepernick has in spades is the ability to just escape. There's no Houdiniism to Mallet. He's there, he's got to make the throw, sneak it into a tight window. Even Flacco, albeit now 80% of the speed he used to maintain, has more maneuverability, more of that Brady-esque escapability than Ryan Mallett does. And, you know, the Ravens are already down a key offensive player, too, because they lost Kenneth Dixon for the season. Well, and don't forget Dennis Pitta. Oh, that's right, and Dennis Pitta as well. Starting too. tight end. Favorite, favorite, the favorite target in checkdown right. for Joe Flacco. The they've, had a, blanket. they've had an amazing run of injuries already in Baltimore, mm-hmm. and that's... Um, you know, that Last just, year they were brutalized. Yeah, and the year before. They've had two straight years of the IR, I think, were in the top five in terms of usage. And then now they've started this year. I do think they have more depth. I don't think they've lost anybody that's really, really crucial yet. Uh, but the Flacco injury, obviously, 
is is making them very very nervous. All right, so I'm going to be Thursday night. I'm going to be in Canton at that first football game of the year. Cardinals, who have already said you will not see Carson Palmer, you will not see Larry Fitzgerald. Another reason I think the Hall of Fame game has to go away. Um, I don't know if the Cowboys are playing Dak Prescott for a series, two series. I haven't heard. How long do you watch the Hall of Fame game traditionally? I'm going to have to watch the whole thing uh, for the first time in a long time. Wow. Thoughts and prayers, Don. Yeah. Thank you so much. How long do you watch it? I watch in earnest for 30 minutes, and then I leave it on as white noise. Right. Because preseason football, to me, it's not about watching. I mean, I'll watch my team. You know, I'm interested in seeing the Patriots. But in terms of other games, I'll watch for about a quarter when the starters are in. And then I just like the I just like the white right. noise. I like the ambient noise because it reminds me of Sunday because it brings me a step closer, and it just sets it just has a, it has a calming effect. You know, if Brookstone or the store formerly known as Brookstone could have sold a machine like a white noise machine that just played preseason football sounds, I could probably put it <laughs> by my bed and fall asleep to it. The same way I'm sure. I bet you used to leave on baseball and fall asleep. To I, that. Yeah, absolutely. That, and still that do. Is, that is the per- baseball on the radio is a perfect way to fall asleep. Um, I, I go with the um, uh, the rain sounds now. Mm-hmm. I have a noise machine on my phone that I use sometimes on the road to try to go to sleep. I use either rain or um, thunder and lightning is is good. My wife my wife's preference is the uh, air, airline taking off oh, or something. Pl- really? Yes, it's kind of crazy. Uh, when we're at my uh, in laws' house, they say they can't sleep because of our noise machines uh, coming from the other room. Anyway. Um, does anything burn off quicker than the that first adrenaline rush of watching the Hall of Fame game? I mean, it's kind of like when they bring out, I don't know, one of those desserts, Banana Foster, and they light it, and, it, and then it, it, it's out in about three seconds. You get the table-side flare, and then you realize, oh, wow, I just ordered a dessert I have no interest in eating. That's the Hall of Fame game to me. Yeah. The excitement lasts just that long, and then you go, Wow, I don't know any of these mm-hmm. guys, and this is pretty ragged style of play. I don't think the coaches know any of those guys either. <laughs> Not yet. No. I wouldn't be surprised if half the people that show up actually aren't even on the team. They're just warm bodies, right? But you know, seat fillers at the Oscars. People might wonder why you know why the Cowboys and Cardinals. Well, obviously Jerry Jones going to the Hall of Fame, Kurt Warner's going to the Hall of Fame. So they always try to give you teams that that some of the headline, headline, headline Hall of Fame inductees played for. So it's kind of their moment. And you'll get the, you know, you'll get the uh, interviews during the game with the Hall of F- Hall of Fame inductees. Although this year they're smartly playing the game on Thursday night, um, the ceremony, the induction ceremony is not till Saturday night. But we know who they are. We know who's going in. Um, I I always feel as if. Um, it's probably drudgery for those teams to play that game. You have to get to camp earlier. It's a fifth preseason game in an era when, again, mm-hmm. we should be down to we two, be down to three, maybe two, three. three yeah. So that's that's not fun. But um, it will officially kick off the NFL season if they if they play the game this year. You know, if they mm-hmm. go ahead and kick it off, um, and then football will officially be back. Do you remember, or can you go to a favorite Hall of Fame speech? Now, that those I do watch. I love watching the Hall of Fame speeches, and I love then reading who was your favorite the next day and then kind of going back on YouTube and scanning through them. I remember a couple of years ago, I happened to, there were no wife, no child at home, and I just happened to pass by it on a Saturday night, and I watched a couple of speeches culminating in Shannon Sharp's retirement speech, and I remember thinking, wow. There's a guy who I was never fond of as a football fan because mostly he used to, you know, talk a lot of smack directed towards my team and beat them with 
significant, you know, with frequency. And then, President, we need a National Guard. We need as many men as you can spare, because we are killing the Patriots. Too soon, Kevin. That was a good line. That was a great line. <laughs> Too soon. That yeah. was like 16 years ago. That's what every Patriots fan says. But I remember Shannon Sharp's speech was just so emotional and so yeah. hard, and I had no idea of his personal struggles. And then to see the level that he reached and the hard work that he put in, I had this newfound respect for him. And I think for a lot of fans, it's more than just kind of fun. I think it's, I think it's important that if you're going to dedicate so much time to watching this game, if you're going to invest yourself in these humans, these giant, strong, rich humans you'll never even probably share a room with or get to know, to learn their story, to hear how difficult it was for them familially and emotionally and physically to get to where they got and to accomplish what they did. I'm curious if you ever, you know, with all your travels, you know, whose the, story may have impressed you the most well, or who opened your eyes? Actually, the last one that I covered personally was a 2000, and Joe Montana went in that year, which was a pretty good speech, as I recall. Joe's not exactly known for um, his riveting oratory, but he was he was pretty good. That I here's what I I have to be honest. I find recently I tune a lot of them out if they're just totally self indulgent and self absorbed. I like mm-hmm. the ones who get up and tell a story about the person that helped get them there, um, and don't make it totally self-centered mm-hmm. i mean let's be honest they got there with the help of hundreds if not thousands of people i like the ones that are short and sweet and 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 thank someone that we didn't know about in their life that made it possible for them to stand up there and put on that gold jacket i have to be honest like the chris carter level of self-indulgence self-absorption turns me off mm-hmm. way off right well nobody wants to watch an oscar speech we'll say with and I want to thank my agent, and I want to thank my PR. Like, I'll never meet these people. I, no. I, that's great that you want to You're do that. You're checking things off. That's it. But when you get to hear something like the struggle or like McConaughey when he won a couple of years ago, talking about fulfilling dreams and the man he was and wants to be and how that related to his father, those things get me, you know, those things get me kind of geeked up. So. All right. Keeping with the theme of keeping it real. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday there was a headline, and it was not in the NFL world, but I thought it got – engendered a lot of response i responded to it on twitter the steve bartman gets a ring story i was fascinated by that okay look if you want to be a cynical person you can say oh the cubs are playing pr games they're trying to you know they're trying to finally put a band-aid on that ugly chapter but good for the cubs to finally kind of try to bring about closure even better for bartman i love how he handled it he didn't go on a media tour he put out a statement the best part of his statement, after he thanked the Cubs, after he said he was sincerely grateful, he basically pointed it right at the fans who scapegoated him. He said he hoped that we, quote, we can all learn from my experience to view sports as entertainment and prevent harsh scapegoating. Bravo, Steve Bartman. Mm-hmm. He kind of nailed, I think, maybe I'm just remembering that, that exquisite 30 for 30 catching hell that he was the <laughs> unwitting star of. But that man's life, I don't... Hell, literally. It, it was turned into a hellish... and He still lives in Chicago, and he basically still lives... Well, he had to go into hiding. He was the closest thing to staying in the city you love, but being in sort of the baseball equivalent of the witness relocation. He had to, like... There, there are people... There are people that hid from Whitey Bulger that had less anonymity than Steve Bartman did. Agreed. It's, un- it's un- unbelievable. And you know what I you know what I don't think helped at all? 
You know what I really don't think helped? Moises Alou's reaction right afterwards. You remember? Yes, Bartman's absolutely. there with his hat on and his jacket, and he's listening on his old-fashioned headphones to the game that he's watching. And I had a lot of respect for that, too, because I always think it's kind of a cool move, the guys that are listening to the game while they're watching it, too. You know, this is this, this, is this guy's life. This means everything to him. And it was right there and probably wasn't going to get caught by a Lou, but he throws that tantrum, and then all the eyes go on Bartman. He really caused, I thought, I that thought first he, reaction. I thought, he, I thought he saw a little smoke on the porch and then threw a bucket of kerosene on it. I agree. I think Alou is, to me, Alou is the guy who owes Bartman the biggest apology because his initial reaction started that fire. Um, Mm -hmm. And the way he responded gave the fans license to respond in kind. He basically pointed the finger right at at Bartman and said, your fault, which I don't buy. Um, Because that made Mark Pryor groove some pitches and that made, that led to the other errors and that, it w- the, it was the group mindset of panic, like what's going to happen to us? What are we going to do? It was a um, it was a group effort uh, all the way around, and yet I think Bartman, if it it doesn't start unless Alou has that first reaction. So, right. but anyway, cool little story. I thought good mm-hmm. for the Cubs, even better for Bartman. I do hope someday he does throw out you know the a first pitch at Wrigley the way. And you brought this up. I was the 2008 opening day. Um, I was there when um, Bill Buckner came back, and right. it was a really cool moment. When I mean, tears in his eyes when he came back to throw out that first pitch on opening day of the home opener of 2008. It was kind of finally closure uh, for his nightmare existence. And feel how you feel as a fan. Those guys deserve the closure, and I'm sure Bill Buckner would have rather had his own World Series ring that he had earned as opposed to, you know, the ceremonial ring in 2008 but being accepted back in being beloved it helps everybody put it in their emotional rear view something you know listen we we have the scar we'll always carry the scars but at least if the wound is closed then we can heal and move on yeah i agree and a cool cool story all the way around i don't know watch him like put the ring on ebay like in three months or something you'll you'll say the bartman ring good for him <laughs> he deserves it i hope he sells it for enough to go live in a mansion he deserves it I don't know about that. I think he needs to keep the ring. I'm sure he will keep the ring, but it was a funny thought, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to sit on it. Um, tell me this: uh, if you uh, if you had to talk about a rookie right now that mm-hmm. you think has made an impression early in camp, mm-hmm. what would it be? Who would it be? Um, we've we've seen good things out of uh, McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey in Carolina already. Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook right. in Minnesota. Um, Anybody you think in these early days will put on the talent football evaluator sure. hat that Bill Belichick loves. He loves it. He knows there's a lot of evaluator talent in that room. He relishes it. I think so far he's got the burn, if not the laugh of camp 2017 in that speech. Just was Absolutely. fantastic. He's, he's already – he is throwing – Late June, he's throwing pre All Star game ninety seven mile per hour fastballs, and they they are still a week away from their first preseason. Some serious game. shade. Oh, serious shade. I mean, uh, near hundred. He's throwing like Billy Koch level straight hundred mile per hour shade right now. All right. So anybody, McCaffrey, anybody you want to? Yeah, I think I think McCaffrey. Now see, I think the value of Cook in terms of the Vikings stealing him. They got him in the second round, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, he had off-field issues. No, I, he, I, he fell I, because of that. Plenty of players. Oh, I, I think Minnesota benefited from another guy falling uh, 
maybe about 18, 19 years ago because of off-field issues on the offense. Um, I think last week's uh, guest uh, may have coached him a little bit too, Randy Moss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah. Dalvin Cook, if you watch that game against Michigan, was it the Orange Bowl, Fiesta Bowl? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. He put on a show that said, I have NFL lead back potential. Spend your money on Fournette. Go ahead and get your McCaffrey. I'll be the one you'll be talking about at your draft. I'll be the one you'll be talking about in the offseason. Th- he's going to be great, but McCaffrey presents the most intriguing prospect because Cam Newton has never had McCaffrey. Cam Newton has never had a back with that size, that speed, that maneuverability. I think he's going to catch 90 balls out of the backfield. I think he's going to be virtually uncoverable. If there are downfield threats and you're always still worried that Cam is going to move, what are you going to do about a taller, stronger, faster Danny Woodhead? Right. I, I totally it's agree. Be deadly. I think he is instant impact, and I think he's such a playmaker in so many different ways. Now, I don't know if he's going to have a long career. He may be the type of guy that has you know, three to five really strong years, mm-hmm. but I think he is such a wonderful safety valve for Cam Newton. I think he's going to open up so many parts of the field that Carolina have has not really been able to attack in their offense. They've either been a downhill running team mm-hmm. or Cam takes off. And then occasionally Ted Ginn would haul one down uh, deep down the field. I just think McCaffrey gives them so many more ways to attack a defense. He has instant impact. If I had to name uh, the proverbial rookie of the year four days into camp, uh, my money would be on him. And there's a lot of buzz on Evan Ingram, the tight end for the Giants. Too. Yes. People say, now, tight end that uh, – Howard, who went to Tampa Bay, people may have said that he was probably the most talented tight end coming out of college. But I think Evan Engram is in the best position to capitalize Agreed. on day one and put himself in an early position for success as a rookie because of the Brandon Marshall and, of course, Odell Beckham. This kid is going to see some wide open. And if he can find his niche in, that, in McAdoo's offense, he's going to see a lot of balls early and often. He is going to be the Dixie Chicks tight end and by that i mean wide open spaces in the middle of the field middle of the field you might be the last guy on planet earth that i would expect to hear a dixie chicks I'm, reference from i'm versatile that's what makes it awesome i'm versatile last thought don speaking of eli manning and the giants uh, i thought you'd appreciate this there's an app called hater which is a dating app that matches up people based on what they hate the most and they recently published a map of the united states and what people hate the most in certain states can you guess in Massachusetts what people hate the most? You told me. I'd like to know how wide this sample was. Was it you and your immediate household? Excuse me, sir. <laughs> the most hated thing, I mean, we're talking about all sorts of bad habits and annoying tendencies from people. The most hated thing in Massachusetts to this day is still Eli Manning. Can you, isn't that amazing? Mama. Mama, they hate me. Isn't that amazing? I, I don't know. I, you know, I think... If I, I'd like to see the research on this, like how many people were contacted for this, because I really think this is friends and family of Nick Stevens, the dream robber that was Eli talked. Manning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really believe that this is a a a very selected <laughs> sand uh, sample and not random whatsoever. But I get it. I mean, who's caused them more pain, right? Right. In, in the last seven years or so, is seven, that what it is? Uh, it's been longer. Oh actually. yeah, it's ten not years. Nine. Ten. Ten, well, Feb- yeah. Oh, seven season. We're in seventeen. Yeah, ten years. Wow, ten. Wow, ten years. 
Do you think there'll be any uh, retrospectives of that particular game done next January, perhaps? Oh, I, I can only imagine. I already was asked to go in and do take part in a retrospective on the Tyree catch for NFL Films, and I'll be shooting it in Boston pretty soon. And I'm just trying to emotionally prepare myself for that miserable hour. But as a Pats fan, I feel like I have to because things worked out on the other side. All right, Nick. I am going to be in Canton later this week for Patriots.com. Um, be at the Hall of Fame game, the induction ceremonies, and whatever gold jack gold jacket banquets what do you got going what do you want to pub looking forward to the podcast as well and of course you can follow me at ahoy nick stevens on twitter if you enjoy patriot hot takes and that sort of foxborough analysis inappropriate foxborough analysis you can check out my fitzy videos at townynews.com and of course monday through friday 3 to 7 p.m on the maddie and nick show on waf radio in boston that is another cover two podcast with banks and stevens Thanks for joining us today. We will be back next week. Training camp goes on. The NFL has fully returned. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Downloading this podcast from Patriots.com. Log on anytime for more news and more podcasts from your favorite team and Patriots.com.